The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Over the last weeks, we've been exploring the teaching on the aggregates. And um, in particular, coming in through the direction of the Satipatthana Sutta, exploring the fourth foundation. In the Satipatthana Sutta, we are encouraged to recognize the aggregates, recognize the five, the five, we, we could call them processes of body and mind that weave together really to create a moment of experience and moments of experience. The Buddha talked about these five processes as being pretty much what is happening in the present moment, the uh, processes of our body and mind that are happening to um, create our experience and that have been created by our experience. So they're, they're both shaped by what has happened and are the shaping of what is to come. So these five processes are the body, bodily experience, and then four processes of mind, feeling, the the experience of whether something is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, perception, the recognizing function of our minds, uh, the function of our minds that in meeting the world organizes or recognizes it based on memory, based on what we have experienced, uh, the, the recognition of objects in the world, that we recognize people, that we recognize walls and couches and carpets and floors, instead of just having it be a pastiche of pixels coming into the eye, that we recognize objects. That's the process of perception at work, a mental function that puts together and makes sense of our world in many ways. It's a useful, really useful process of our minds. So uh, feeling, perception, mental formation, which is the kind of the responding part of our minds, the the part of our minds that uh, relates to experience, responds to experience, and reacts to experience. These uh, processes also shape our experience. So as we respond to experience or react to experience, if we react to experience with a reactivity of aversion or confusion, that tends to shape more aversion and confusion in our minds, as the Buddha is famously said to have said, whatever the mind frequently ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. And so these mental formations are that active part of the mind that is responding and deciding, choosing. It's got, it's got a volitional component to it, this uh, mental formation aspect. And then uh, the fourth uh, mental aggregate, um, so one aggregate of body and four mental aggregates. The fourth mental aggregate is consciousness. This Really, it's a very simple 
it's, at least in the suttas, it's described as a really simple process that apprehends experience at a sense door. So it, it's said that there are six kinds of consciousness. Seeing consciousness, smelling consciousness, taste consciousness, touch consciousness, tongue consciousness, and mind consciousness. So the the sensory apparatus that our body has, the five physical senses, and then plus the, the sense door of the mind, that there, uh, the, the Buddhist psychology says that there is a, a knowing, a, just a, a kind of an apprehension at a sense door that something has contacted the sense door. It's kind of like a, a, a doorbell at a sense door. Like, yep. There's been a sight, there's been a sound, there's been a smell, a taste, a touch, or something happening in the mind. One of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, says that this function of uh, knowing, he says it's a little bit stupid. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't recognize the experience. That's the job of perception. It doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't have the quality of, of, of the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. It just, it, it, that's the job of feeling. So it, it, know, it knows, it, it, there's just, it's, it's a really simple kind of quality, just a simple knowing of experience. Every single moment of experience, whatever's happening, day or night, unless perhaps you're in some kind of a um, a um, um, surgery where they have given you an anesthesia. I mean, there, it's possible, I think, with certain kinds of anesthesia to stop consciousness. And I had an experience of that at one point, uh, coming out of, of a surgery like that. It was so strange, the, the experience where, you know, I remember I was having surgery on my knee. And because there's all these reflexes in the knee, they really had to put me out. They told me they were giving me some very strong anesthesia. Um, and so, you know, I remember... What I remember is the the moment when they said, okay, we're going to give you the anesthesia now. And I felt like, like this kind of like moving into a sleep kind of state or something, just to kind of, it, it, and it was very pleasant. I remember that it was pleasant. And then the next moment I was waking up and there was no sense of time between those two moments. It was like one moment and a next moment. And it was a little bit odd, you know, that, that sense of, you know, there, it's like the mind did not have any sense of consciousness at all in that, in that uh, time. But in most of our, in, in our states, whether we, you know, even when we fall asleep, in, even in the state of sleep, there is a form of consciousness happening, this knowing, this, the Pali Vinyana. Knowing is often used for the translation. Consciousness used for the translation. So every single moment of experience, there is this 
consciousness happening. Whether we're awake or not, and whether we are mindful or not. So this is a this is an important piece to recognize that um, mindfulness is a different thing. Or and sometimes I use the word awareness for mindfulness. Some people use awareness for consciousness. So it's it's often useful if you're if a teacher is using the word awareness to kind of check in and how are you using this word? Are you meaning consciousness? That thing, you know that that um, process that's happening every single moment. Because some te- pe- people will say we are always aware, and you know if they're saying that, they're probably meaning there's always consciousness, whether or not we are mindful. So the, uh, the knowing quality of mind happens every single moment. Mindfulness comes and goes. And we know this. You know, we, we know this, that when um, the mindfulness is gone, and actually this is a great way to kind of reflectively understand that the consciousness is happening all the time. Consciousness, feeling, perception, mental formations going on all day long, whether we are mindful or not. If you notice that at some times, and, and sometimes this can be more obvious than others, um, you know, if, if the mind really wanders and kind of absorbs into something, kind of really interested in something without mindfulness, goes into a thought and just like is wandering in that thought, and then we wake up, it's like, wow, I have been really lost in that thought. In that, in that moment, especially if you've been doing something like one time, I think I told this story not too long ago, one time uh, a few years ago, I was driving to IMC and um, um, my mind, you know, I knew I was kind of tracking where I was and, it's, and I knew I needed to turn left at, at a stoplight, you know, a little ways down. And, um, and then my mind got lost. It went into some kind of a thought, and it it really thoroughly got lost. It, it you know normally when my mind goes into uh, some kind of a, a thinking, it's often got some kind of mindfulness that's still happening. But in this case, it went so thoroughly into the uh, the thought that I lost track of where I was on the road. And the next time I woke up, it was probably, you know, a few hundred yards down the road past the place where I needed to turn. And I was stopped at a stoplight. I came back into mindfulness and I was stopped at the stoplight. I looked up at the sign and it's like, oh, that sign says Willow Street. I've missed my turn. <laughs> so, so that, you know, so there was the re-arising of the, of the mindfulness in that moment. And in that moment, I remembered you know, having been thinking. So there was an awareness, you know, there was the kind of the recognition of what I had been thinking about, but what there was not a memory of, and what is really humbling, was any awareness of the seeing. And yet seeing was happening because I stopped at the stoplight. You know, it's like I had no recollection of any of that. So the processes of seeing, of hearing, probably, you know, they were happening. I was probably taking in the, you know, the the cars around me. I certainly saw the stoplight and I stopped. So the, the, the mindfulness was not there at all in that, in, with those objects of sight, of sound, of touch, of touching the steering wheel, not at all with that. And yet 
the consciousness of them was happening. So there was the consciousness and the perception. The perception was happening. The perception recognized the red light. The perception understood what it meant. The volitional formations acted on that perception and said, yes, come to a stop here. So there was a lot going on, even though mindfulness wasn't happening. And so these five aggregates function. Thank goodness they function, whether we are mindful or not. And so this, um, the process of consciousness is this just really simple moment-to-moment meeting of our sense bases. So um, with the uh, note, with understanding that awareness and consciousness are different, we can be curious about what it might mean to be mindful or aware of the knowing aspect of experience. This is what is encouraged in the Satipatthana Sutta with all the aggregates. It it encourages us to recognize such is body, such is feeling, such is mental formation, such is perception, such is consciousness. Just recognizing really simply this is the way the aggregate expresses itself, how it does what it does the process nature of it, the experience, the the, the aggregates both do the processing of and the, uh, so, so for instance, feeling. Feeling both feels and it feels pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So often the feeling tones themselves, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, are talked about as being feeling in certain places in the suttas, in the Satipatthana Sutta. The mindfulness of feeling, feeling tone, we are encouraged to recognize pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experience. And so the the aggregates are both, uh, we're both encouraged to notice that the process nature of these experiences Feeling feels, knowing knows, and what they feel, what they know. So knowing knows the five, the six sense spaces. Knowing knows sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Things happening in the mind. So to explore, to begin to get interested in the knowing side of experience you know the knowing side of experience um i'd say this is probably the subtlest of the aggregates in terms of beginning to recognize it because and partly because it is so woven through every single moment of experience it's kind of like the 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 water that a fish swims in not not recognizing it it's it's so ubiquitous this knowing aspect that we kind of don't even see that it's there so a way a, a possible way to begin to explore and and you can potentially you know in in this moment just as a kind of a little um 
meditation exercise in a way. Just right now, as you're sitting here, what's most obvious to you? What experience is most obvious? So whatever it is, a body sensation, the sound of my voice, some um, uh, feeling in the body, just whatever is most obvious. You can recognize that, some vibration or hearing. So that object, that experience... There's a quality to that experience. You know, if it's a physical sensation, maybe there's a, and just as I touch my hands together like this, my hands are a little moist, so there's a stickiness. So there's sticky, sticky quality, hard, that kind of thing. So there's that quality to the experience. Or hearing, you might notice kind of the pitch and tone of my voice or some some things about you know, the, the experience of hearing. So there's that side of the experience, the, the experience side of the experience, what we could call the object side of the experience. In every experience, there's that object, and then there's the knowing of it. They come together. Every moment, experience and object, sight, object, sight and knowing of it, Hearing and knowing of it, smelling and knowing of it. And so whatever is the most obvious experience for you right now, kind of noticing, okay, yep, body sensation, sight, hearing. And then you might explore or just add in the little kind of reminder or it's just a little kind of wisdom pointing almost. Is known. Hearing is known. Sensations are known. Maybe a mind state or a a thought is known. That might or can begin to support the mind to be a little curious about the knowing side of the experience. We can't tease apart the knowing from the object and just like, just purely know the knowing. We know the knowing, or awareness recognizes the knowing through the meeting of an object. They come together. Normally, our habit, our what we've been taught, actually, what we've been taught through our lives is that the object is what's important. Knowing what the object is, how it feels, what it does, that's where our attention naturally gravitates. So in that side, if this, if this hand represents the object of the experience, you know, um, we're mostly interested in the object. The knowing side of it is mostly just ignored. You know, the knowing is is seen just as is kind of like the. I mean, it, maybe it's just like the way by which I know this thing, and so not important. What's important is the knowing of the thing, but the 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 possibility exists. Of, it's almost like with mindfulness. Mindfulness can now my head represents mindfulness. You know, mindfulness can look at the experience from this side. Oh, that's the experience of the, of the object. That's the seeing. That's the hearing. 
or it can kind of look from this side. Oh, that's the knowing. Seeing is known. Hearing is known. Knowing is happening. It's not like the object disappears with that knowing, but it's just a a little shift where there's that kind of recognition or understanding that there's this process by which the object is known. One way, I think the earliest way for me that it became clear that the mind was actually making that shift. I was, I was um, exploring working with aversion in one sitting. This is so interesting when we have these really clear understandings. Even as I say this, it's like I remember exactly where I was. You know, the, the meditation is like, it's right here. It's, it's so interesting. I remember where I was in the, in the, in the house and what was happening. So it, it's, it's kind of cool the way these insights just land in the mind sometimes. So I was meditating and observing, getting to know aversion, exploring aversion. And I probably had heard this instruction and, and it arose in my mind. I don't remember, you know, why the mind decided to do this, but, but it, it, it shifted from kind of, you know, noticing, oh, this is aversion. This is the experience of aversion, you know, and the experience of aversion has some unpleasant qualities to it. it I was, there was the noticing or the recognition of the tightness in the mind, the kind of the, the, the ripple effect of that tightness through the body. So there was unpleasantness happening. And that was a key piece of what I was recognizing, that there's aversion happening and unpleasantness is happening. So feeling tone was a big part of what the mind was noticing with respect to the aversion. And then the mind kind of shifted to recognizing, oh, aversion is a happening and aversion is being known. Oh, aversion is known. So that shift from, oh, this is the experience of aversion. And this is aversion is known. The main shift, the the kind of the shift in the experience there was the feeling tone shifted from unpleasant to neutral. With that shift of, oh, this is the knowing. Knowing aversion is happening. That was so interesting to me, and it it kind of pointed to that the knowing quality is a neutral quality. I even went and described this to my teacher. It's like I said, you know, the, the aversion is unpleasant, but the knowing of it is neutral. My teacher agreed. Yes, that, that is, that is true. And so that, that experience or that kind of exploration can begin to, um, help the mind to, to understand what it means to connect with the knowing. For me, it was a little bit harder to know that I was with the knowing. Initially, it was harder at the beginning when I was just beginning to get familiar with the experience of knowing. It was harder to recognize that I was um, harder, to, harder to know the difference or to really have a sense of, yes, I know that I'm aware of the knowing of seeing as opposed to the seeing 
when there wasn't much in the way of feeling tone going on, you know, when it was a pretty neutral experience, the shift wasn't as clear to me. And so the, it took some time to begin to understand or get a sense of, oh, that, that kind of quality of, and, and this is just some language to describe ways that I've experienced this, you know, I, it's hard to describe. I think what the experience of knowing is, but it's, it kind of just feels like an infusing of, it's like, it's like a light comes on. It's like there's a, the the quality of light that allows us to know an experience. Like if the the room is completely dark, you're not going to see any objects and the light comes on there are objects. So it's kind of that quality of, of light, of illumination, mindful awareness, uh, consciousness, that consciousness quality illuminates the experience. And now again, so there's, there's a little bit of confusion perhaps with awareness and consciousness. So, you know, that example of my stopping at that stoplight without seeing it, consciousness was illuminating the red light, you know, the consciousness was illuminating the the seeing, even though I was not illuminated by that, (laughs) you know, so so the mindfulness wasn't there. And yet still there was that, that the, the, the sight was, the mind received that sight and knew what to do with it, with perception, with feeling, knew what to do with it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a subtle experience. And yet one that we can start to get familiar with. Now, why, why is it useful to get familiar with this kind of subtle experience? Now, the Buddha pointed to, with all of the aggregates, part of the value of getting familiar with them is that we tend to cling to them and particularly create a sense of self around each of them. So with um, body, we, Bhikkhu Nalio points out, you know, we tend to identify the body as being where I am. Feeling as being how I am. Perception as being what I am experiencing. Mental formations as why I am doing things. And consciousness as kind of the whereby experience happens or whereby experience arises. And so the the sense of self in the first four, a little more kind of tangible in a way, you know, the body is where I am, feelings how I am, um, perception what I am experiencing, mental formations why I'm acting. The consciousness I think the consciousness, the way we identify with consciousness is a subtler kind of identification, but it's very potent. So we might, you know, the the teachings on not self point to, um, you know, when the Buddha points to different ways that we identify, um, in a simple way, he explores a three-part identification this is mine 
this is who I am. This is me. This is myself. This is me. So the, the, this is mine, the kind of the ownership that connected to objects in the world, connected to a sense of control, perhaps. This is who I am. I think of that kind of the agent of experience, the, especially around the mental formations, the, the part of the mind that decides, chooses, acts, does things. The, um, this is me, um, more of a sense of, at least in my, my understanding of this, this is not particularly described in the suttas, but this three, this way, this three part way of understanding it has been very useful for me. That third one, this is me and the, the language here, you know, the, this is who I am. This is, this is who I am and this is me. The difference between the I being the subject of the sentence or the object of the sentence. So the I in the subject of the sentence being the actor, the actor. The object of the sentence being the rece- receiver of the action. And so the uh, this is me. It may, there may be a sense in identification, you know, not of recognizing I'm not in control of what's happening here. I'm not making this happen, but it feels like it's happening to me. That I think is a a key place where, you know, that, that feels like it's happening to me. That's a key way of identifying with consciousness. This, this was clear at some point in my practice where I could really see the, the conditioned nature of experience just happening. And yet there was still the sense of, it's like I could see I was not doing the seeing. I was not doing the hearing. I was not doing the feeling. I was not doing the mental formations. But it all felt like it was happening to me. So a very subtle kind of identification is, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, I, the, the me is, is, is the one that knows. The hapless kind of being that is being impinged on by all of these sense experiences. So that's, I think, a key way that identification with consciousness happens. That sense of it's happening to me, happening to me. One thing I've been bringing in in each of these weeks as we've been exploring the aggregates individually is the simile that the Buddha uses for the aggregate. The simile um, that points to the empty nature of the aggregate. Body like foam, just bubbles collected together feeling like a bubble floating on the surface of water, perception like a mirage, mental formations like a banana tree went through with these in past weeks. Now the consciousness simile, he says, is the consciousness is like a magician. So what does a magician do? A magician 
creates an illusion of something that is not there. Kind of creates a sense of something happening. But there's something else going on behind the scenes. Just kind of, uh, you know, a good magician will do something to redirect your attention so that you're not paying attention to what's actually happening. So there's a delusional quality there to the magician's show. Aiming your attention elsewhere. So the, um, you know, the simile um, kind of each of these similes for the aggregates kind of points to a particular aspect of the aggregate that connects to its deluding nature. The way that we tend to be confused by the aggregate and thereby tend to have a sense of self connected to it. So with the um, consciousness, you know, the, the, the consciousness, the simile with consciousness, again, the, the magic show simile, it's an interesting simile because it does, it does bring in the sense of intelligence in the simile. The other similes are much more natural processes at work you know, bubbles that have been created and um, foam and a bubble on the surface of the water and a mirage that's just a a natural process that takes an observer to see it. So that brings in an an observer, the the mirage. But the, the, the magic show simile brings in kind of some consciousness, a conjurer. It brings in a conjurer. That's a little bit different in a way than what the way consciousness is described in the suttas is just this really simple, um, as Sayadaw Utejaniya says, almost stupid um, thing that just knows experience moment after moment. But the, so what, what to me, just thinking about that conjuring nature of experience, how, how the weaving together of experience creates the sense of me, you know, the sense of me, because I think that's the key, that's the key, um, you know, conjuring that's referred to here, the, the conjuring of the, the mistake of a me in the consciousness. There's a kind of a way, I think, that when we get to get familiar with this knowing quality, we start to see that there's these six threads, these six streams of knowing. There's a knowing of seeing, a knowing of hearing, a knowing of smelling, a knowing of touch, and a knowing in the mind that, that kind of they all weave together. And the knowing also, um, the, 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 the suttas point to the, the, the knowing uh, in the mind, you know, the, the, so the mind base, so the six sense bases, there's the knowing in the mind. The mind then also can recognize feeling and perception. So there's the knowing of feeling, the knowing of perception even. And those all weave together in a moment. And that weaving of experience to create some kind of coherence around our experience, that that to me is kind of the 
the weaving or the conjuring that we experience. You know, I'm sitting here in this room surrounded by objects and, you know, I'm moving my head and looking around and the room itself looks pretty stable. Even though I'm moving my head and there's this like different like stuff coming into the, into the eye. The room looks pretty stable and I'm seeing, I see an object like looking at the wall across the way. There's a sense based probably on history. So based on perception, based on past understanding that there's not only the sight of the wall, but there is, you know, an understanding of the solidity of that wall. There's almost a visceral feeling of the solidity of that wall that comes with the seeing of it. And possibly there's a connection to sound, you know, the way sound reverberates off the wall that I'm not even conscious of, you know, I'm not even actively or, or consciously aware of that consciousness knows, understands something of the hardness of the wall based on the sound in the room. Now, there's a, a big difference between a room that's created by walls that have solidity and a room that's created by curtains in terms of what we experience. So the, the, the weaving together of all of these experiences into a coherent whole may be part of the function of consciousness the kind of the weaving together of all of these threads of consciousness, the weaving together of the perception and feeling along with the sense door contact and, and, and weaving together the sight and the sound and the, and the concepts about it so that it, it has a kind of coherence to it. So, you know, if I'm, if I were walking across the room quickly, you know, I, I would slow down as I started coming to the wall because the mind so deeply understands the concept of the hardness of that wall. So there's like, you know, the weaving of consciousness puts together not only the sight, but all of the, you know, prior like understandings around the hardness of the wall. It's almost like there's not a difference between the sight and the knowing of the contact, the, the touch contact of that wall. Kind of, a, you know, the, the weaving together of all of those that we don't see, you know, that we don't see that this is a process of mind. We take it to be me. I am the one experiencing these things. There's one more piece that I would like to offer. It'll mean that there's not probably time for questions, but um, um, this one feels like a useful exploration around consciousness. It's uh, and for me, it, it was it was a really um, supportive way in again to recognizing the experience of the knowing. So um, we often think of, like when I use the light analogy, I use the light analogy as an analogy for knowing. We often think of light as illuminating the objects. So, you know, knowing 
illuminates the objects. Think of we we might think about you know the consciousness as being this spotlight or this searchlight, and it finds an object, and then the object is illuminated. But the the object and the um, knowing arise together, and in a way, and maybe not just in a way, you know that the the object can also illuminate the knowing. So this was really brought home to me at one point through an analogy of light. Um, I was, I was in, a, um, in a retreat, and it was a, a winter retreat. It had been very cold for many days, and... Um, Lots of snow had accumulated, but it had stayed below freezing for many days. And so the snow hadn't melted at all. It was really fluffy snow. And um, then the sun came out, like I think it was the fifth day. Uh, The sun came out and there was all the snow still hanging out in the trees. I was in a cabin that had a courtyard that was really shady. there There wasn't any obvious sun in the courtyard. Um, I looked out and it just, it looked like a shaded courtyard. Uh, but as the, the snow started to fall from the trees, I was sitting there kind of looking out in the courtyard. And, and as the snow fell from the trees um, into the courtyard, there were patches of light of sun rays revealed as the snow fell. It was startling because there was no obvious sun in the courtyard. When the, when the snow stopped falling, I couldn't see light in the courtyard. Well, I could see light, but I couldn't see the sun rays. I couldn't see where there might be a patch of sun. There was no sun on the ground. And then I realized, oh, there's a deck here. You know, maybe if I look over the deck... So I I went outside and I looked over the edge of the deck and lo and behold, there were some areas of spots of sun under the deck. And so there were, there was some light filtering through the trees and landing on the ground there, but it was not obvious in the air. It wasn't obvious in the air until the snow fell through it and illuminated the light. So again, using the light analogy, in this case, the light was not apparent until the snow fell through it. And then the rays of light were like magically illuminated by the glistening snow. So that image became a meditation object for me or a meditation almost instruction that as I experienced you know a sight or a sound it's like yeah oh there's a sight oh and it illuminates the knowing there is knowing happening and that the the experience of the seeing is like evidence for the knowing like the experience of the snow the snow falling was evidence then for the light coming through the courtyard that disappeared, you know, the, 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 the evidence of that light in the courtyard disappeared 
when the snow fell, you know, when there was no more snow falling through the air. But I got to watch this a bunch of times because as the sun came out and the snow started to, you know, um, melt, it would just drop like big hunks of snow. And I would get to see this explosion of light in the middle of the air, this explosion of the sun rays in the middle of the air. And that was a kind of an analogy for me. Oh, sometimes the object reveals the knowing. The object can be the pointer to the knowing. So I'll leave you with that for today.